You're listening to the Kansas State Department of Education Insight Podcast, where we bring you conversations and information on our vision to lead the world and the success of each student. Hello, Kansas educators. It's episode nine of KSD Insight Podcast, and I'm Randy Watson, Commissioner of Education. We're so thankful that you tune in and really listen to these series of podcasts as we try to highlight for you many of the state board's outcomes and their vision for education. As you know, we uh, we have a guest with us uh, to talk about these important topics. And today, we're going to be talking about academically prepared for post-secondary success. We'll talk about what that entails in just a second. But we have, as always, a few uh, items we want to bring up to date for all of you. First, as you're listening to this, graduation is taking place all across Kansas. Congratulations to the class of 2022. We are so excited to see what you'll do in the future. And so many of you uh, have shared with us those Kansans can and I am videos. We we want to say thank you to a variety of school districts from Wellington to Dodge City to Nemaha Central. Uh, so many uh, of you have reached out. We want to now listen to several of those outstanding young people in the class of 22 and where, what their plans are for the future. My name is Dustin Shetler and I go to Wellington High School and after high school I plan on going to the Air Force Academy. Kansans can and I am. My name is Bella Carroll. I'm a senior at Derby High School, and after graduation, I'll be going to the University of Kansas to study exercise science and Spanish. Kansas kid and I am. Hello, my name is Heather Suther, and I'm a senior at Nemaha Central High School, and I'll be attending Washburn University to major in radiology. Kansas can and I am. Hi, my name is Dylan Lorcher. I'm a senior at Nemaha Central High School. I plan on attending Kansas State University and majoring in mechanical engineering. Kansas can and I am. My name is Leslie Medina, and I am from Dodge City High School. I will be attending Dodge City Community College to major in nursing. Candace can, and I am. My name is Annalisa Puentes. I am from Dodge City High School, and I will be attending Garden City Community College and major for photography. Candace can, and I am. My name is Austin Barnett. I'm from Dodge City High School, and I'll be attending DC3 for Diesel Tech program. Candace can, and I am. And congratulations to the senior class and every place that you'll be attending uh, come the fall, whether that's directly into work or military, two-year, four-year technical or um, full college. Also, it's uh, in the month of May, we we did some shout-outs for Teacher Appreciation Week. Our staff members and a lot of our Kansas Teachers of the Year team uh, highlighted many of the uh, wonderful things around teachers. So if you get a chance, go back and find us at KSDE Live Media, and you can uh, touch base on those again because those are really, really good. Speaking of Kansas Teachers of the Year, you know we get a lot of those people together three times a year, and they bring other Rockstars teachers together for some professional development. And coming up in June on June 3rd and 4th, in Shawnee Mission, uh, we're going to be having the second Kansas Leads Conference. So if you're interested, you're a teacher and say, how do I get hooked up with this? Well, here's what you do. You just take a moment and go uh, to our website, 
And uh, there you can get all the information for Kansas leads. Uh, next fall, we'll be going back to central Kansas and then uh, probably having a western Kansas trip and then back to the Kansas City area. So three a year, uh, you have to be nominated. But you know what? You can nominate yourself. It's it's really good, and we want you to involved in that uh, going forward. So lots of great things going on in May as we're rapidly uh, heading toward wrapping up the year. But I have with me today Dr. Scott Smith. Scott is the Interim Deputy Commissioner uh, for Learning Services and the Director of uh, Standards and um, uh, testing, assessment, and we're really honored to have him here with us to talk about academically prepared for post-secondary success. So we're going to try to go over with you uh, how we came about on that title, what it means, uh, a little bit about the misnomers around grade level and those type of things that get thrown around a lot and why we set the high standards that we did. But Scott, thanks for, for being here with us. And uh, uh Let's just start a little bit with uh, the history of that outcome and kind of how we went about setting uh, the scores. The state board said, let's set an academic standard that enables any student to choose their post-secondary plan without remediation. So we had to set that pretty high. So walk us through, this is now a few years ago, but how did we go about selecting those standards? And then we can talk about uh, how high those standards are and those cut scores related to other states. Thank you, Commissioner Watson. Um, this has been, actually, this can be a source of quite a bit of confusion for some people. Well, let's let's take a step back and think just very generally about the fact that we are talking about, in general, science standards, mathematics standards, and language arts standards. The responsibility that the board has is to build state assessments that align to those standards, that measure them with some validity. And one of the first things that we can we should put on the table is the fact that every single question on the Kansas state assessments is grade level. There are no off grade level questions on the state assessments. So the question for teachers and for educators is, supposing we're talking about a 10th grade math student who is sitting for the state assessment in mathematics, and he or she is presented with a series of questions, supposing it's 50. So they are taking 50 math questions that are all aligned to the standards that presumably the teacher is teaching in his or her class. Well, How many of these questions should a student be expected to answer correctly? And you can imagine that a lot of us are familiar with classrooms where a teacher simply relies on a percentage correct. Well, in my class, you have to answer, say, 40% of these questions correctly, 50% of these questions correctly, or 60%. And often we say, well, 100% of the questions have to be answered correctly. This is not the way we do things in Kansas. And this can be somewhat of an in-the-weeds issue. But what we do know is the difficulty of these questions. So each of the questions that the student answers has a certain difficulty level based upon how many of the students answered them correctly. So as we begin setting cut scores, we ask ourselves, 
well, should a student answer correctly this test question that I'll say 90% of the other students answered correctly? Well, okay, yes. But what kind of student? Should a student who wants to simply to move on to the next grade level answer this question correctly, that 90% of his or her peers answered correctly? What we in Kansas decided was we were thinking about post-secondary success, and in particular, the success that students would have, the ability that they would have to have as they moved into some sort of post-secondary setting, especially college. So our decision or our challenge, I should say, was to think about the student who wants to move into a post-secondary setting, in particular college, and answer and and move into a credit-bearing course and have some guarantee of success, not needing remediation. So that particular student, what we decided, was one who would have to answer a certain number of questions correctly for us to have some assurance they would have that ability to succeed. And that guided our ability or our decision to where to set those cut scores. It has absolutely nothing to do with a certain percentage correct, and it also has nothing to do with placing particular students at a certain grade level. What we know is this aligns perfectly with our ACT expectations. For example, a student who scores, I'll just say, in Category 3 on the state assessments, that aligns perfectly with what we know to be true about students as a, as measured by the ACT. I apologize, Commissioner Watson, if that was <laughs> no, that's a great. long-winded response. Because, because people can play this back over and over, and that's what's really good. And so what we know empirically, based upon matched pairs of data, is that if you score at level three and four on the science or in mathematics or in English language arts slash reading, you are doing academic work relative to any post-secondary plan that you could you could go after appropriate at that grade level, because we know that, based upon the ACT, which we can talk a little bit about later. So, Scott, one of the things that people ask me all the time, well, hey, hey, now you're, you've set that so high for college. Maybe you know four years going to Washburn. Um, what I'm I'm planning to go to North Central Kansas Tech and and be a heavy equipment operator, or I'm planning to go into the military, join the army, and I want to be in the infantry, or uh, I'm going to a community college. But uh, but what we want everyone to know is we don't know that, nor does any student know that in fourth grade or fifth grade or sixth grade. So we had to build this so that students had all of the academic options available to him or her when they graduated. Now, as we get closer to graduation, that 11th and 12th grade, obviously they start to make those decisions. But our state assessment ends in 10th grade. So from 3rd grade to 10th grade, we had to align that, that all of those options would be available and no door would be shut. So it's really important for everyone to uh, understand that. Scott, you mentioned grade level. All the items are at that grade level expectations. Or again, what would a student need to know in sixth grade in mathematics to be on track to execute their post-secondary plan? That is so hard to understand because we throw out, well, are, is that student on grade level? Can they, can they read at a sixth grade level? Tell everyone why this really doesn't measure whether you can read at sixth grade, it's a much higher standard than that. 
it, it is a much higher standard. And as I said, there are tests out there that would be, I think, much longer than our state assessments that have, as a part of their purpose, the goal of placing students at a particular grade level. Uh, your student uh, is is happens to be enrolled in the sixth grade, but they are reading at um, a third grade level or a fourth grade level. That is not what these tests are. These You mentioned uh, uh, the fact that we might not know, and, and neither does a student really, what their future will hold. We, we believe that options are good. And the greatest number of doors that are open for a student as he or she leaves high school, I think, is the best. Options are good. And so when we talk about grade level questions, all measuring, say, the, back to the 10th grade math example, this is a way to help the teacher and the student, everyone involved in that student's education, to get the most out of that class. How do we set the highest bar that helps the student have as many options as possible, post-secondary options in particular, when they leave? And when we talk about grade-level questions, that's why I I flinch a little bit when someone says students are, are reading below grade level. That's just not a part of our state assessment at all. Right. And that's, that's again, what's, I think, so hard for lay people because if you, it, it's, it's one of those things that we've thrown around for over 100 years. Can you read at grade level? Can Johnny read at grade level? Uh, and it's just not how we went about building the state assessment. So to make that those bases, it really isn't an appropriate test to make those bases because we're trying to judge whether or not a student can execute any of the post-secondary plans, which is a much higher level, as we as we talked about. Now, Scott, you mentioned the ACT, so let's jump right into that because I think it speaks to the limitations that we can even predict relative to future success related to academics. So we know in mathematics, for example, if you score at levels three and four, you are academically prepared for that post-secondary endeavor. And ACT uh, and our match pair analysis would say, yes, your levels three and four are spot on with scoring uh, what would be uh, an entry level for college algebra. Now, ACT says if I score 22 on the ACT test in mathematics, I have a 50% probability of getting an A or B in college algebra, which is typically the gatekeeper course for most disciplines. I've heard it said across the state by some people, well, that must not be a very good test, Dr. Smith. It only it only is 50% predictable of you getting an A or B in college algebra. Can you just speak to why uh, this is important, and then we can talk about why the state board looks at other things other than academics. Well, it's, I think it's exactly as you said. Um, this is an academic measure. And when we talk about those matched pairs, what we're really saying is we know that the students with this assessment score and uh, this particular ACT score, how, how they did, what their performance was, but there are a lot of other factors that are involved. So, you know, anyone who's ever been to college or any post-secondary experience knows that we're, we're human beings and life happens. And so the best we can do at this point is to try to identify 
a particular ACT score with a particular assessment score and make certain that our standards are high and that there are no false positives. And by a false positive, say that we know for certain that uh, students who with, with this particular score on the state assessment had this experience in high school or who were able to score this on the ACT. We want as much validity as possible when we match those pairs. Yeah, so let's just give a couple of, uh, of examples. What we, what we know is even students that score a level four in mathematics, that 100% of them do not go on to, to post-secondary and are successful. We know that the, the higher you score from level one to level four, the more success you have, but it never, it never gets to 100% because there are other factors. Same as I could score some X score and qualify to go into the armed services, into the Army, and I could get to the Army in basic training and not make it through basic training. I could even be physically fit and not make it through basic training. Well, why is that? Well, because some students go into the armed services and find out, oh, I'm not cut out to do this. I don't like this, and I need to I need to not do this. Same thing happens. You go off to college or to technical school, and things get in the way. I may uh, fall in love. I may not go to class. I may not take good notes. I may not self-regulate myself. I, I may not set appropriate goals. There are all kinds of other factors that the state board wants to also enhance to make that other 50% probability go way, way up. So what we can say is you're academically prepared, but you may not be prepared in the other things that we call social, emotional uh, areas that we've talked about uh, in the past. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be academically prepared, though, right, Dr. Smith? It, and we want to be academically prepared, and we're, and we're trying to do that as, as much as we can. Can you also speak, though, to them, when when teachers are using curriculum standards, uh, our standards, and then buying textbooks and buying other materials, how uh, maybe that always isn't a match, and why uh, that's important to teach to the Kansas standards in order to get the best outcomes for students. I think that is often a difficult issue, especially for those teachers who may not feel, or if they feel that they maybe weren't a part of the process for, for textbook adoption. One of the things, and and this is just me speaking as a former educator, I firmly believe that if you have a facility, and this takes a fair amount of work, with the academic standards for language arts and mathematics and science, they will help you get the most out of whatever curriculum you have in front of you. And if it's the case that, for example, in light of these ELA standards, maybe the resources that I have in front of me are or maybe they're weak, or maybe they have extra information in them that I might not use. You will best be in the position to know that the more you understand the standards. I had the good fortune of visiting earlier uh, this month, or last month rather, with some first, second, and third year teachers, and they, they had some really valuable insights into all everything that's going on right now in education. They referenced the you know, the board goals and, you know, the definition of a successful Kansas high school student, the vision for success. One of the things that I took careful notes on, they organized their lives, their professional lives, I should say, with two general categories. One was the educational setting. 
And, and the idea was whether we're talking about work-based learning or any kind of entrepreneur, entrepreneurial situation or personalizing things, all the things that are a part of the current conversation, especially with regard to redesign, one way to make certain that that setting, that educational setting is fully educative in the best way is by understanding the standards. And I'm more confident that this student who might be released for some work-based opportunity, I can have a conversation about what my expectations are for that setting. And so that's one, one area, is the educational setting. And the other side of the coin that they said was just about the student, him or herself. They said, anytime we're talking about academic preparation or cognitive preparation or technical skills, employability, civic engagement, whether the student has an individual plan of study, whether they're engaged, where they have some social-emotional goals, we're all talking about the student. So those two halves of that coin I thought were really valuable. One is the educational setting, how to think in a in a creative way about that, and then the other about the student. And academic preparation has been a part of that since day one of our vision. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we just want to then acknowledge, which the state board did just a few months ago, a school district that was awarded the silver star in our, in our star recognition for achieving at a really high level, Fort Leavenworth. So we want to give USD 207 a lot of congratulations as really setting the highest of standards academically. But Dr. Smith, as you mentioned, I read a great book recently uh, that said uh, it, it was relating learning to playing baseball. And they said, and, and this was an older professor, said, when I grew up, everyone in my neighborhood wanted to play baseball. It was just the sport growing up. So you learn to play baseball and you love it. It's this camaraderie of this game and all these things. But you don't get very good playing the actual nine-inning game of baseball because you don't get to bat enough and you don't get enough opportunities to field grounders or flies that when they happen, it's, it's really hard. So you love playing the game, but you need some repetition. So therefore, you have to do batting practice and you have to uh, do pop flies and but no one wants to go and just do batting practice. They want to play the game. And so we always try to say there's a balance between we want students to put these standards into a context of real-world application, but they're going to have to practice that over and over and over again so that it really takes. So I think all of us can remember flashcards. And around the world, at least I can, this is Bynum's third-grade classroom, I loved around the world because I was good at it. That's probably what I loved. And if you could go around and beat everyone in the whole room, you get a gold star on the chart board. And uh, K-Small, if you're listening, I know you were a formidable foe in around the world, but we loved it. What I found was that didn't transfer very well when I got to algebra and had to solve for X because now I couldn't memorize all that. I had to start thinking. So it's this combination that we have to do really, really well within the standards, within practicing the standards that are so so important. And again, Fort Leavenworth doing an outstanding job in that area. So there's so much to unpack around academically prepared for post-secondary, which is the goal in all of our standards. And Dr. Smith, thanks for joining us today. This has been a really good conversation. I think we're probably going to have to have another one. 
where maybe we even do some call-in or something where people just pose questions because I think it's hard for people to understand. We have misused test data for so long that we make generalizations around things that that the test, whatever test, isn't meant to do. And so thanks for helping us understand what our assessments do relative to our standards. We want to thank you for joining us for Episode 9. I can't believe we're already at Episode 9. And uh, we look forward to talking to you around Episode 10, around the great things going on in Kansas education. Look forward to talking to you in the future. Take care.